in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, Paul writes this. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this thing I do, forgetting what lies ahead and straining forward, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. In uh, the summer of 1999, before some of you were born, uh, I was the youth minister at a church in the Fort Worth area that I had helped plant. We opened our doors two weeks before community church opened their doors um, the year before. And I had, uh, I, was, I was in the final stages of a seven-month-long breakup. Um, anybody been through one of those? Uh, one that starts uh, on one day and takes a long time to finally seal uh, with someone who I dated all the way through my time here at A&M and had actually been engaged to. And uh, truly, just a couple of weeks after that thing, which died a very slow death, but by the time it was dead, was dead, um, Amy moved back to be a part of our church that we had started. And she had been there in the early days and had moved back to where she was from in the Seattle area. And then she moved back to Texas and she wasn't sure why. Um, but within a couple of weeks, I knew why she had moved back. And um, I kind of had an epiphany real shortly after she, had, she came back and, and told my best friend at the time that I'm pretty sure I'm going to marry her. And this is before we were dating or she had any idea that I was pretty sure of that. Uh, but about six weeks after that, we started dating. And about six weeks after that, we got engaged. Uh, there you go. These are our engagement pictures. Oddly enough, this week I texted Amy before Com Group on Wednesday because we were having a white elephant party. Um, and I, we didn't have any idea what we were going to give as white elephant gifts. And uh, I said, uh, can you find a, an embarrassing picture of you when you were younger? So she sent me some actual embarrassing pictures of her when, her, when she was younger, and she sent this. I was like, what? We still haven't discussed this. <clears throat> That's us when we got engaged. Uh, but truly, we started dating. Six weeks later, we got engaged, and about two months after that, we got married. Uh, I, I'm not prescribing this technique for everyone, uh, but it worked for us. We were a little bit older and into our 20s, and uh, had both been engaged before, actually. So we knew what we wanted, and we knew when we found each other, uh, we had experienced what it wasn't. And so it was a little easier for us to know that this was it. But uh, when, you, when you do it that way, I have a bias towards short engagements 
because of my two experiences with engagement. But when you do it that way, um, there are significant ways that you're still getting to know each other after you get married uh, that, that might not be true if you dated for years before you got married. Um, and I, we have a long list of those things that we discovered about each other after we were already married. Uh, uh, a little while after we got married, I discovered that Amy had spent some time on an Alaskan weightlifting team. This is true. So I, I haven't brought this up in like a decade. Um, but this was, I, I, this was uh, a little confusing to me. I, I'm uh, pretty progressive in my view of gender roles and all of those things. But at the time, to discover that was a little, a little uh, interesting to me. I'll let, you tell her, I'll let her tell you the story if you want to hear it. Uh, but that's one of many things that I discovered after we got married. Uh, we were both miserable the first Christmas that we spent with each other's families. I was miserable at her family's Christmas, and she was miserable at mine. And we were already in. Um, and there was nothing to be done but be, get through the misery of that, right? Um, and there are lots of other examples of these crazy reminders that we still had a lot of getting to know each other to do, uh, some more wonderful and more terrible than are uh, worth sharing here. But we'll have been married 18 years next month, and we're still getting to know each other. And I have decided in that time that the point of marriage, such that you're thinking about this idea of getting to know another person the way that you want to know a person when you're married. The point of marriage in that space is not to get to know someone completely so that you can be sure that you want to marry them. And that's often our mindset when we're dating or thinking about finding a spouse is we want to, we want to get to know someone so completely that we're certain that we want to throw in with this person for the rest of our lives. I think the point is you want to marry someone that you want to spend the rest of your life getting to know and learning to love. And that's, that sounds like something that you know, comes out of Love Actually or some cheesy movie, but I found it in, in my experience to be true. You want to marry someone who will spend the rest of their lives getting to know you and learning to love you. Um, and that, that getting to know your spouse, I think, should be the joy and the adventure of marriage. For some, it also becomes uh, the source of greatest frustration. One of the most common explanations for divorce, if you sort of get down to the core answer, is that, well, I've changed, or he's changed, or she changed. As though that's some sort of revelation, that this person is different than they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. As though it's something uh, that we didn't realize when we got married, that we assumed that this person we marry would stay exactly the same. Never mind that no one says in their vows, I promise to love you until we both die, and I promise to stay exactly the way I am today for all of our years together. None of us promise that when we get married. We don't promise to stay exactly the same. And yet sometimes we're sort of offended that the person we married has broken that unspoken promise and has changed. And we would consider promising to stay exactly the same ludicrous, but we, we lean on that as an explanation to explain why maybe I want to move on sometimes. And I think the problem with that is that we've missed the point. 18 years in, I'm still getting to know Amy all the time. She's still getting to know me. Some of that is wonderful. Some of it is not wonderful. But it's just the reality of marriage. And 
I would bet that if, if Amy and I were to both, either one of us, start talking about what we love most about one another, or if any of you in here who are married were to start talking about what you love most about each other, a lot of it would be things that you didn't know about the other person when you married them. Things that you couldn't know because some of them weren't true yet. Some of them are what we have become in that relationship and over the years of that relationship. And that's what we sign up for. And that getting to know each other for a lifetime is a good thing. I think, uh, show me a marriage that's 10 or 20 years in and you got people who haven't discovered anything new that they love about each other and I'll show you some really boring, unhappy people. That's just the nature of healthy relationship. This getting to know each other is not just what you do before marriage. It's, it's the whole journey of marriage. This isn't a sermon on marriage, but I, I say all of that because I think it's the easy way for us to relate to this reality that I'm finding for myself, and I think for many of us, that life with God is a lot like this, both in the good sense and in the hard sense. I think the reality is that we all really, really want to know God. I really believe that that is created and embedded in each of us when we're born. We may not even think about it in those terms all the time. We probably don't think about it in those terms all the time. And there are times when we reject that notion. And there are people who have wholly rejected that notion, that there's anything in them that wants to know God. And yet I think all of the rest of human behavior sort of discloses that there's this thing in us that wants to know who made us. Has all these questions about why we exist and, and, and what we're supposed to do. And that all originates in this hunger that we have to know the one who created us. I think the most basic and deep need buried inside all of us is the need to know the God who created us, the only one who knows us completely, and that's part of it. I mean, you can flip this and talk about uh, sort of human introspection and the human journey to self-discovery, and still it leads back to there's only one being that, that knows me completely, and it's not me. It's the God who made me. So even that hunger to know myself leads me back to the one who truly knows me, and the one who made me. But I see a few particular challenges, I think, that we all face in one season or another to knowing God that I want us to acknowledge today before we talk about uh, setting out in a new way this year to know him. The first of those challenges is this dynamic that I already spoke about, where we look at God and we go, mm, you aren't who I thought you were. When we started this thing, I thought you were one, one being, and I've discovered that maybe you're not exactly who I thought you were. A lot of us entered into what we describe as our relationship with God. We, I think we all have a relationship with God from the moment that we're conceived, um, but we talk about this in terms of when we became more aware of it or we made some sort of decision about how we're going to relate to God. A lot of us started into a journey with God with a particular sense of who he was, then somewhere along the way, maybe gradually, maybe in some big event or some big revelation, um, we begin to discover that he might not be exactly who our 12-year-old self or our 20-year-old self or our 40-year-old self thought he was when we were first really discovering him and deciding, I'm going to relate to God. And we aren't sure we want to stick it out in the relationship with this God who is different than we thought he was. But the journey of life with God, I think just like marriage, just like friendship, just like all of our relationships, is about discovery. 
And I think we're missing it if we try to demand that God conform to our sense of who we thought he was or our current sensibilities of who he ought to be. We sang a song tonight where we asked God to break our heart, break my heart for what breaks yours. This is the nature of relationship with God. We are discovering who he is, what he cares about, what he cares about in my life, what he cares about in the world. And we're saying, I'm entering into this relationship knowing that my understanding of you is gonna grow and I'm going to change as a result. I'm not going to throw in the towel because I discovered that you're not exactly who I thought you were when I was 12 years old. The nature of this journey with God uh, is about discovery. And if we insist that he be who we thought he was at some point in the past, it will create interruption in our relationship with him. Uh, The second obstacle I wanna talk about is... Uh, what I am describing this way is knowing God on Netflix. Is it, can I know him uh, by watching something on Netflix, by binging? Can I binge on knowing God this weekend? <clears throat> as much as we want to know him, if we're honest, when we do a real inventory of our lives, we're going to find that we filled our lives with all kinds of other pursuits and preoccupations that often distract us from the fact that our lives as humans in the world, as Jesus followers, as kingdom people, our lives are about getting to know him. We aren't meant to just know about him. We aren't meant to drift in and out of a relationship with him or just settle for some sort of distant, removed knowledge from him or just stick with what we learned at a certain age, just stick with what we knew when we started into this thing. We're meant to really know him and not for it to be this this sort of absentee experience. I've shared this quote before. It's one of my favorite uh, quotes and has all kinds of different applications. One of my favorite writers is E.B. White, who wrote Charlotte's Web and uh, a lot of other amazing stuff that you have no idea that the writer of Charlotte's Web wrote. Uh, but, but many decades ago, um, back when television was just becoming a mainstay in American homes, E.B. White made this observation in an article in The New Yorker. He said, last night the world shifted. There was a total eclipse of the moon and the weather conditions were such that most people could have watched it from their front lawns, but most people watched it on television. And I'm telling you that I think that this is an all too accurate description of most of us, at least part of the time when it comes to knowing God. I'm interested but I would rather not get up and walk out of my comfortable space to go really take a look, to really know him. Can, is there a more convenient way for this to happen for me? He offers us a clear path directly to him, and we often settle for these sort of distant or, or absentee glimpses. And I don't think we were made for glimpses of God. We were made to really, really know him. Life is not primarily about doing good things. It's not primarily about being good at Bible study or being good at prayer. It's not primarily about figuring out how to sin less. It's primarily about knowing God, the real God who wants to be known by us. The third challenge uh, is this. If I don't know him by now, we'll simply read illusion for those of you over 35 in the room. Um, There's a song in the 80s. If you don't know me by now, you'll never, never, never know me. And some of us get stuck in this mentality that, man, I have been in this thing. I have been in Christianity for a long time. And if I don't know God 
by now, if I don't know him better, then this is just kind of who I am. This is probably the extent of, of where this relationship is going to go for me. We've swallowed some version, I think, I think the root of that, that, that obstacle for us is this, that we've, we've swallowed some version of the same paralyzing lie that's plaguing so many marriages. The lie that if we're claiming to be Christians, we should really, really know God. If I'm claiming to be in a relationship with this person, things should be better. Instead of coming upon moments of hunger for God or knowing God or realization that there's so much about God that I don't know, instead of coming upon those moments and seeing them as opportunities, instead of seeing them as evidence of life, that there is still a hunger in us, there is still a desire to know more, that God has given us a living spirit whose lifelong mission is to realize that we don't know everything about God and long for more. Instead of all of that, we just feel guilty. We feel like a failure. We realize we don't know God as much as we should, and we get frustrated that we haven't arrived yet. The point of knowing God, listen to me, the point in this human body, these human bodies we're living life in, the point of knowing God in this life is not arrival. It is not to finally know everything or to see ourselves as a failure if we don't know enough about him. God is infinite. So this quest to know, in this quest to know him, we'll never arrive. There will always be more. At least as long as we're living on this side of the return of Christ. And, and this is what we see in Paul when he wrote these words that, that we already read in Philippians 3 when he said, I want to know Christ. And when he said, not that I've already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul met God in a radical way. And when he wrote these words, he was already well into his journey of being a sort of superstar of the Bible. He is a guy that we would say he knows God. And what he says is, I want to know Christ. Not that I've already exhausted what I can know about him. I press on to take hold of him because he's, he's taken hold of me. He has invited me into this relationship of knowing. We've met God and we know God, but we still want to know him and we still need to know him. And that's not just okay. It's not just okay to acknowledge how much we don't know. It's not a sign that something is wrong with us. It's a sign that we're alive that he's alive in us. So, it's a new year, and I want us to do two things today. The first is, is something I'm just gonna say over you, and you don't have to do anything with, but hopefully receive it, and that is this. As much as I can function in a sort of priestly or pastoral role over you today, I wanna release you from the guilt that grabs onto your realization that you don't know God as well as you could have known him if you had only whatever the, the rest of that sentence is. That comes from an enemy who sees a moment of purity in your heart, who sees an opportunity for real discovery in your life and wedges guilt in to choke it out. That's where that comes from. That's not conviction from the spirit. That is an enemy trying to slow you down when your hunger is saying no more. Know him more. So in the name of Jesus, I say, be free of the guilt of not going, knowing God well enough. Be free. 
You have no guilt to carry around for not knowing God better than you know him. The second thing I want to do is to challenge all of us to seize the opportunity this year to know God more, to receive him as he is, even if he surprises you or confounds you, and to believe that he's better than you think he is and that he's worth knowing and that you can know him, that he is knowable. And I want to be somewhat specific in that challenge. So here's how I want to do that. I, I, there, there are lots of ways that I could stand up here and preach. Here's how you can know God better. Literally an infinite number of sermons that can be preached and have been preached uh, in that direction. What I want to do is try to demystify that a little bit and just simplify it. I think it feels abstract. It feels out there to a lot of us. And so I wanted to grab onto something as earthy as I could and say, these are ways that we can know God better, really, really know him better. And so I want to use what I started with is that idea of knowing another person. What do we need to do in any relationship to know that person more? What are some very basic practical things? And then apply those things to um, our desire to know God more. I actually think, obviously this is not a one-to-one -one comparison. There are things that are different about knowing another person and about knowing God. But I think that one of the main reasons that we're given other humans created in God's image, by the way, to relate to is to form our capacity to know and relate to God. So these things are not separated. They're not completely different. Um, so here's some, some really basic components, I think, of knowing other people that I think we can easily apply to knowing God more. First one is this, is desire. You, and, and it starts <clears throat> here. You have to want to know God more. You have to want to know another person more uh, for that to go anywhere. Certainly there are people that are placed in our lives that we really don't want to know more, that we end up knowing more anyway, right? That's not how we want this to go in our relationship with God. So there is a cultivation of desire. And, and if you're struggling with that, Press into some of these other things and see if that springs to life. Talk to other people. Everybody struggles with that at times. This is not a new place for you to feel guilt. I just think it's, it's a very natural and important starting point for this. Uh, second part of this is think about the purity of your motive. Uh, when I'm wanting to know another person, do I want to know someone just to know them because there's value in who they are? Or is it always driven by some sort of selfish motive? I think getting to the heart of this in our relationship with God, am I really interested in discovering who God is or am I primarily relating to him in a way so that I can figure out how to get what I want from him? And, and just stepping away if that's what we've been doing and saying, okay, I want to be open and um, have a pure motive in knowing him. Next thing in a, in a healthy getting to know someone is you focus on the other person and not on yourself. This is, um, a ch this is a challenge for some people. Some people are really good at this. I know people, Amy's really good at this. I know other people that are really good at, um, in conversation, asking good questions and not just talking about themselves. I have weird social dysfunction, introverted things about me, and so I will find myself sometimes in a conversation with somebody I don't know very well and realize I was talking about myself for five minutes, and I don't even really care about what I just told them about myself. But it's because I don't know what else to say, and I'm not good at asking good questions. That's something uh, that Amy learned about me after she married me um, <clears throat> that we've been working on for 18 years. But this is 
an important part of really knowing someone is that the focus of the relationship is on the other person and not on myself. And then these next uh, things sort of fit in that, uh, in some ways under that heading. Spend time with them. We're not going to know God more without time spent. It's just not going to, in a really significant ongoing way, it's going to require that we actually set aside, give time of our life to this pursuit. Next thing is we listen. Listening is not just an obligation. It's not just a chore that comes with knowing someone. It's something that uh, we want to actually learn how to desire to do, even if we're not good at it. And this is true in our relationship with God. And this, there's obviously a lot more that could be said about listening for God, but this happens in all kinds of ways. And I just want to encourage you, if nothing else, to pray a prayer at the beginning of this year and just ask God, teach me to listen to you. Jolt me at times into awareness that, that you're speaking. I'm not talking about necessarily an audible voice. God speaks and you can hear him in lots of different ways. And this next one goes along with that. Watch, pay attention to what God is doing. He's, he's not, your knowing him is not just about what he's doing to you or for you or what happens in a sermon or as the band leads worship or as you read the Bible. God is, is in and through all things. He is at work in every space in your life. Pay attention. Watch. Uh, ask questions. This is an okay thing to do to God and about God. And I don't care what uh, you got somewhere along the way from some religious person that told you you can't question things, you can question anything. God is not afraid of your questions. Ask questions and trust that God uh, has answers, whether they come in the form that we want or at the speed it, that we want or not. Another thing to be mindful of is uh, reciprocation. And what I mean by this is think about your confidence in God reciprocating this, okay? Everything we're talking about up to this point is how can I act to know God better? And what I want you to think about in this space is do you have confidence that God wants that relationship? that he wants to be known, that he knows you and he wants to hear from you and he wants to relate to you and he wants you to know him. It's hard to know someone who isn't interested in being known. So if you think that about God, if you think God is indifferent to whether you know him or not, this is only gonna go so far from you, for you. Can you have confidence that there's a reciprocal relationship? I think we really have to meditate on understanding and believing that he knows us that he's happy to know us and that he wants to be known by us, that he's not hiding from us. He has an active desire for us to know him. Next is sacrifice. Give up things that distract or detract from you knowing God. I'm not asking, I, I, I'm not making a big ask here tonight. God might do that, but I'm not making a big ask. I'm asking you just to be open-handed. If you really want to know God more, there are probably things standing in your way that are part of your routine, that are part of your habit, that are part of your life. Are you willing to let go of some of those things that will open that path up for you a little bit? And the last thing is be faithful. And have desire first and be faithful last because desire will waver. You will not always have the level of desire that you want to have 
for knowing God. Be faithful anyway. Be faithful in these other spaces anyway. I think these principles of knowing, these are, these are good principles for knowing anyone. And I think they are helpful in knowing the one who made us um, as well. But the good news, and this is what I want to close with, the good news is that this comes without the futility or the frustration of building a relationship with a broken human who may or may not want to be known, or even if they do want to be known, may not be very good at relationship. Anytime, we can go through all of these things in attempting to build a relationship with another person and still come up constantly against barriers because those people are broken too, just like you. I have my social dysfunction, they have theirs. They may have emotional dysfunction. That means it doesn't matter how much I listen, I can't really get to know them because they never really tell me anything about themselves, right? These are real barriers that pop up in relating to other people. You don't have to worry about that in applying these principles to knowing God because he's not broken, he's not flawed, and he really wants to be known and is making himself known. The scriptures tell that story throughout. All the way back in Jeremiah, it says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. Now, this is a very specific response of the Lord to a specific group of his people that were spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. But this is something, there are things in, in the Old Testament that are meant for a certain time and place. And there are things that we discover are true of God at all times. And this is one of those things. We see it throughout the scriptures. In the Psalms, it says, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And then he says this, and those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. The ones who seek to know God will not be betrayed by him. He's not gonna run from you. He's not gonna hide from you. And then Jesus said, I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give you a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit is the comforter. The Holy Spirit is God living in us and among us in this time and place. This is who God is always. He wants to be present and known by you, by us. So let me end, let me close with a really specific challenge for all of us. And just because it's a new year, I'm gonna add two bonus challenges just for fun that have nothing to do with the scriptures. I'm terrible with New Year's resol with, with resolutions, so don't get tangled up in that language. Uh, but certainly I think a new year is a logical time for us to put down some markers and say, I'm gonna spend the next year doing this simple thing. And I think the simpler, the better and the more doable. So I'm urging you to think simple when I, when I offer these challenges. So the first challenge um, is to choose a specific way of knowing God better. And here's, here's the specifics. Choose some specific way of knowing God better, and once a week this year, make a point of seeking to know him in that way. This is simple and small. Once a week, seek to know God in whatever Want, stick with the same thing throughout the year um, in whatever way you choose. No goals, no gold stars, 
okay? I'm not asking you to, to decide here, I'm gonna read through the Bible this year. That's great if you want to do that. That's not what I'm asking you to do. And I want you keeping a report card for yourself. Just choose something simple and once a week, spend time, spend effort seeking to know him more than you do now. That can be prayer, scripture, worship. That can be learning from someone you know who knows God in a way that you realize, yeah, I don't really know him in that way. Um, that can be, uh, you may really have a desire or a need to learn about God through his creation, um, through serving other people. There's all kinds of ways that this can happen. Choose one thing that makes sense for you to do once a week and make it about knowing God. Don't make it about that activity or about achievement, okay? That's the simple thing. That's the main thing. Here are your bonus challenges. Uh, second, choose one particular way to serve others and show them God's love this year and do that once a month. Do it more if you want, but do it once a month. I'm adding these things on because I think they're good things to do and because I think you'll know God better through these things as well, okay? So serve somebody else once a month in a way that you're not already serving people, maybe in a way that's new or different for you. The third thing is give yourself permission to answer this question. What is something about the way that God made me that makes me feel truly alive? And for a lot of us, this may be something that we think we don't have time for, um, that we think is, is a luxury or a convenience. I'm not talking about God made me to really enjoy getting pedicures. If you want to make a resolution to get a pedicure once a month, that's fine. But I mean something that God really made unique in you that you feel like, this doesn't always fit within the, the sort of churchy way of describing knowing God, but I feel alive when I do this because I think God put this in me. Find something like that and do that once a month. Once a month. Okay? And I think if we do those things that we're going to discover that we know the one who made us in a new uh, and important way. This, know God, serve others, come alive. If we can do all of that once a week, once a month, makes for a pretty good year, right? Right? I guess some of you don't think so. Let's pray. Father, thank you for another year. Thank you that we're here that you have numbered our days such that uh, we're alive and we're together. I pray that you would make us people who do desire to know you, and I pray that you would make us people who are not discouraged or ridden by guilt when we don't desire that, but that we can hang on, that we can breathe life by the Spirit into one another as your body. I pray that you would raise among us in the year to come, a new energy and a new enthusiasm for breathing the life of the Spirit of God into one another, for seeing needs, for seeing each other when we're hurting, when we're struggling, and, and asking the Lord, how can I be a messenger of your life, of your Spirit, in the life of my brother or sister this year? So make us people who have eyes open this year and who are intentional about knowing you and about living as you've created us to live in this world. And pray all of that in Jesus' name.